All right. Sit down, everybody. Stay calm. We're coming in for a landing. Here we are. Uh, we're back. Another week goes flying by out there. Friends, there's Rick Wagner here getting it right. Your political Viking here on 1100. Well, we're also on the Internet, too, and uh, podcasting. But we're right here on the radio, 1100 and 92.7. And then we're all at 980 and 101.3 up at KGLN. So we're all over. Everywhere the left doesn't want us to be. Which makes me pretty happy. So let's see. Another week goes by. Let's see. What's, what is there to talk about? Uh, you guys see any good movies or anything? I mean, this week to talk about? I mean, I saw a bad one, The Northman, with Alex Skarsgård and uh, Alexander Skarsgård and uh, Nicole Kidman. Very bad. Very disappointing. You know how much I like Viking movies. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, this week there was something. Uh, we had an election. That's right. We had a tremendous catastrophic failure by Republican leadership. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's so commonplace. I don't even, I hardly remember it. It happens all the time. Now, I want to be fair. That's not the only reason the election didn't turn out like we wanted it to. Now, we didn't lose. We just didn't win very much. And we let uh, poor Joe Biden, you remember him, he's the poorly animated cadaver that occupies the uh, White House uh, Oval Office. Yeah. He was actually trying to take a victory lap. I mean, let's be fair. Uh, he can't make a lap. He has trying to do a, a victory shuffle, maybe back and forth from the desk once. But anyway, I mean, he was out there. I wouldn't change a thing. Well, good. That's probably the silver lining out of this whole week is I think it encourages Joe to the extent he understands what's going on to think that he should keep doing what he's doing. And if you would like to see a different president in 2024, him continuing to do what he's doing is the best way to get there because he's doing terribly incorrect, foolish, infuriating, and economically unreasonable things. So if you want to see him gone, this may actually be the silver lining to the whole thing. The rest of it is a little harder to figure out. And I hesitate to go over it too much. You guys have been hearing it all week. I mean, every place you go, uh, if you're watching Fox, if you're watching Newsmax or anything like that, Breitbart on the radio, uh, anything, you're you're hearing this stuff. But there are a couple observations I thought would be kind of interesting for us where we're at. And if you're not where we're at in Colorado and Utah and in that part of the country, it's still instructive. We had a Senate candidate here who I had on the show a couple of times, Joe O'Day. Good guy. I liked him. Uh, I think he probably would have been a decent senator. Now, he would have certainly been better than Bennett. But then I hate saying that because that is the old uh, damning someone with faint praise. I've got a piece of nearly worn out uh, turf in the artificial turf in the back of my truck that would make a better senator than Michael Bennett. So that's not really helping anybody out. Tell him that. But nevertheless, uh, it was they had a strange strategy. And I try to ask him on the show without getting into too much back and forth, because I don't think you get very far. Remember, one of the things that people were asking me about was he was not a Trump supporter. That's okay. But he had actively come out and said that he didn't want him to run and he would actively, you know, not not go along with him and so forth. And I, I thought that was maybe not as uh, a good idea <laughs> as as others. But then I started thinking, you know, where I'm at, we're a pretty conservative area. Maybe what they're thinking in his campaign is that Colorado is pretty blue once you get over the mountain. And there's some blue spots on the west side, too. Maybe the idea was, well, we'll separate off from the Trump thing. We'll do the old Dick Morris triangulation, you know. 
will say, well, I'm a conservative, but I'm not this kind of conservative, you know. And the thought being that, and I don't think this is always true, that, well, the conservatives will vote for me anyway, because they're certainly not going to vote for Bennett. And I can scrape off some independents and maybe even a couple of Democrats if I say, you know, that we're, we're not big Trump supporters. I, I, don't, I don't think that works out that way. And if you look at some of the returns in my county, just because I glanced at them to, to see how that was, there was, you know, substantially less support than I expected uh, for that Senate seat just because I believe that that dampened enthusiasm for a lot of people. And I'm not sure that it really brought much from the other side of the mountain. I mean, there was, you know, over 10 points uh, difference between the two candidates at the end of the day. And so I'm not thinking we brought a whole lot from the from the left by doing that. And I can tell we suppressed some from the right. So that strategy, and I believe it's a strategy, now we know how that works out. Colorado is a tough state now. People say it's blue. Well... Parts of it certainly are. What we're in danger of is we're not careful where I'm at and where many of you may be at in other states is this sort of hunger game scenario. Remember, I'm constantly going back to this idea that I had that we have one of three movie choices to live in. Mad Max, kind of a desperate place, cool vehicles, crazy haircuts, and wrist-mounted crossbows. So it's not all bad. The other one is an even older movie, Soylent Green, with Charlton Heston and Edward G. Robinson, where people live in this dystopian kind of future where things have just kind of crumbled down and you have power in your apartment a few hours a day and there's not much food and the government manufactures this different food bars called Soylent Various Colors and the green turns out to be remanufactured people. Uh, so that's why they call it Soylent Green. I'm not suggesting we'll be remanufacturing people into, uh, you know, bars, uh, Hershey bars or anything like that. But, you know, that sort of dystopian kind of slow roll of a riot down to, you know, much lower level civilization. And then the third was sort of the Hunger Games, which uh, is the idea that you have a city and apparently more than one big city that kind of rules over everything. And everybody else kind of works at a lower level sort of a you know, sort of a modern-day surf kind of level to support everybody in the city, and they live these crazy lifestyles, these outlandish costumes and all this kind of stuff, which is pretty much the way it is now in terms of the way people look, dress, act, and speak in some of the big cities. And so I I think, frankly, we're, we could be, we're headed towards a Hunger Games thing, right? We're all going to be just sort of working away, and these cities, because of their population density, start dominating politics. And because their needs or desires in some instances, most instances, are so much different than the rest of the country, uh, they need to be fed all the time. The chow needs to keep coming. Well, they can't make any chow there. We have to. We make things. We make food. We grow food. And we create materials and all these kinds of things, most of which they don't do there. Most of them, if they do anything at all, it's trade in things like money, which could be important. But uh, when you're hungry, uh, making a trade uh, through BlackRock or one of the hedge funds, if you have no food, starts losing its importance a little bit. Uh, we deliver the things. We take everything into the cities. We load it. We unload it. We put it on the shelves. We sell it to them. We create everything here. That's that Hunger Games scenario. But then they control the vote. The other thing is the voting. 
I'm already hearing people. I know there's some crazy things out that's been happening up there, and you would think they would have gotten past them after the last election. But, look, incompetence is usually the first thing you should look at. Are there irregularities? Sure. Are some of them intentional? Probably. But the first thing many of them have is just incredible incompetence. Arizona seems to be incredibly incompetent when it comes to this stuff. And if you saw Katie Hobbs, who the governor's candidate, who's a secretary of state, speak or act, you have no problem saying, I don't know if they're trying to be tricky, but I do know they're not very smart. And I don't see how this woman could run anything. I'm surprised she could find her car keys and go start her car, much less run an election. So you got to look at it that way. It's a problem with elections, but it isn't necessarily always tinkering with them. Some places it feels a little different, but that's always been the case in politics. So we just have to get to the bottom of it. And for gosh sakes, I don't understand one thing about voting. Shouldn't you want to have a system that everybody thinks is secure? Not just half the country, but everybody. It's so important. So it makes everyone suspicious when instead of wanting that, you want to have this catch-as-catch-can, throw everything in, a, in an envelope, and hope that it arrives someplace. It makes people nervous. They don't understand why you're so wedded to that thing that is so obviously less secure than other ways. All right, everybody, now that's some good advice. For those of you on the podcast and get a chance to listen to our uh, <laughs> our bumper music in there, I played uh, the Eagles, Take It Easy. And that's good advice, as I said. I think the best line in that song, maybe one of the best so- lines from any song, is uh, don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Because that's what's happening, if we're not careful, when we get all this frustration going on. Because that's kind of what happens. I mean, the reference there is kind of, you know, you're listening to all the noise in the background, everything's happening around you, and it just makes you grit your teeth and go nuts. Yeah, you can't let that happen. So that's some good advice there. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. And another thing you have to not let drive you crazy is too much national media. Uh, Obviously, everybody was pretty wrong, some perhaps intentionally on the left, but nevertheless kind of wrong about things. But they were wrong for what is becoming increasingly understandable reasons. And they are instructive to those of us that realize that if we're going to take things into our own hands and make the country and our own hometowns more livable, more productive, and just more American, we've got to be able to understand where everyone is at, not just each other. Because there are people out there that don't have the facts that you do, they don't have the background that you do, they don't have the understanding of simple and basic economic ideas that you do. And this is especially funny because there are many people out there with all sorts of finance backgrounds and this and that that don't understand the basic rule of economics, don't understand supply and demand in a, in a real way. They think that everything can be manipulated. And that is because of hubris. That is overweening pride. We use that term a lot, but we should really understand it better. Hubris is from the Greek, and it followed into the Romans, and we have it in our lexicon today. But it's not just pride. It's not just over, you know overbearing pride. 
overweening pride, as some would say. It's beyond that. Uh, the Greeks understood it to be God-challenging pride. It is the kind of pride that uh, I can do anything. I need no help. I am the sum total of all things. A secular humanism in many ways. And their idea was that when you get too far into that, that you invite disaster. Part of that is because, in their mind, the gods would, would find that to be insulting. However, the Greeks also saw the gods as sort of reflections of human nature and the nature around them and the way things ran. So it's still true. They still saw it as attracting disaster because when you behave that way, you step out of the natural order of things. You believe that you are the decider for all things, as George Bush would say. Once you decide that, you're on a downhill slide. You do not control those types of things. The immutable laws of nature continue to exist and continue to act upon things. So that kind of hubris that you see in government today and many people, predominantly on the progressive left, but sometimes surrounding us too, is such that it invites disaster. And the only way that we can avoid it is to have some humility about ourselves, about what we can control, and in understanding things through that humility, we will realize that we have the ability within ourselves to control pretty much everything outside of nature itself, especially today. It just has to be done properly, and it can't be done arrogantly and with no concern for consequences and the belief that you can turn everything upside down and it will still be all right, which is what we see from the left. So because of that, we have to take some steps here. Now, you guys have been hearing this analysis over and over again. I don't know what's going to happen in the United States Senate. Uh, the Laxalt deal is, you know, Arizona's a mess. Uh, the Georgia runoff, that is something we should probably continue to focus on from a national standpoint. And that is, I'm going to send, you know, 20 bucks or something to Herschel Walker's campaign and I hope that Brian Kemp in that state gets in there and really helps him because he is a popular governor. And that we see a lot of effort put into this. People put their shoulder to the wheel. Now, there's a lot of concern out there about Donald Trump coming into Georgia and doing kind of what he did last time, which, frankly, as much as I have been in the past a Trump supporter, uh, it was not a good idea. He was too fired up over the election. He came into Georgia all he talked about was his own election, what was going on. He undermined people's trust, whatever minimal trust there was in the election system in Georgia, and you know went after some of the Georgia officials. You can feel how you want to about that, but it certainly didn't help the Senate candidates. And remember, all we needed was one of those two, and we would be controlling the Senate now. And yet we managed to lose both of them. And... The one we were stuck with for six years is a wild progressive, and the one that Herschel Walker is running against, Warnock, uh, is a wild-eyed progressive kind of uh, – he's a dodgy dude. I mean, take his politics out of everything. He's a dodgy dude. He's not someone that you would want really doing anything for you, even if you subtract his politics out of it. So that's what was ended up. I don't have a position on this. If Donald Trump is going to do what he's going to do, and he's a great disruptor, it takes a tremendous amount of courage on his part in the past to do what he's done. 
he seems to have uh, gone off the rails a little bit here recently. Uh, we'll see how this all shakes out. We don't know yet. And I've given up on the prognostication business. But I do want to see Herschel Walker win. And even if it doesn't give us back control of the Senate, uh, it would even it out again if Laxalt ends up screwed out, screwed over in Nevada. And so what we can look at here, folks, is what we can do. And I'm going to go back to this again and again, I know. You have to do something about your school board elections. And you have to do something about your city council elections. And commissioners, for that matter. And the state of Colorado, they're commissioners. But wherever else you're at, whoever runs your counties or wherever you're, what you want to call them, your boroughs or whatever it is in a commonwealth, those types of things. Because these are incredibly important. That's where the power for these generational change from the left has come from. We've, ign- we've ignored and neglected so many of these jobs. Where I am at, these jobs pay practically nothing. People don't pay a lot of attention to them. And then when they start focusing on them, they're stunned at what's happening and who's doing it. Now, we have no one to blame but ourselves for that. The idea that local civic government is not particularly important is that's the that's the road to disaster. And many of us have been letting that go for a long time. I mentioned here in the city where I am at, uh, our school district was flipped from being pretty wild-eyed progressive with a lot of shocking stuff in the curriculum that I hadn't even noticed to uh, a majority-controlled conservative, certainly fairly conservative group. That put the fox in the hen house uh, with the Democrats in this area, of which are not in really in control of anything except elections that are nonpartisan. That's how they sneak in. And they immediately, the city council, passed a uh, an ordinance on campaign finance reform. Well, of course they did, because they're very worried about somebody coming with some money and actually spending it on exposing what they're doing. So they did that immediately. There's some ways around that in terms of being able to support candidates uh, and causes that so that you expose what's going on. It's perfectly, I'm not saying anything wrong with it, but you, you know, there are other ways to get the word out and the word has to get out. And the best way to get the word out is by recruiting really good candidates. Now here we're going to work really hard on that. And I'm going to personally work on it because, you know, I can't tell you people to do something if I'm not going to do it. But I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you're in Kansas or Utah or here in Colorado or Boise, Idaho, or, I mean, we have some listeners all over the country, all over the world, actually, when I, when I look at what the, what's on the Internet stuff. So wherever you're at, put your shoulder to the wheel here. I know it's tiresome, and I know we're coming to the holidays and this and that, but in many places where we have these off-year elections, and, and most of them are going to be off-year elections for things like this, uh, some of them are coming pretty quickly. Where I'm at, they're coming in April. So people are going to have to decide to be candidates in January, really now, if that would be great, but and, and start getting out and getting themselves on the ballot. So things have to get organized. I know it's tiresome. I don't blame you a bit. It's wearying work. But let's not forget, to be free is hard. <laughs> it's not easy. It's much easier to let everybody else take care of everything and just 
Do as you're told. Shut up and go along with everything. What could be easier than that? Well, sometimes it's easy for a while, and then it gets really hard at the end. But we're free people. It's ingrained in us, and we have to understand that, and we have to understand that there's work to be done. And we have to organize things and get going. And, you know, here I'm going to try and work on doing some organization because I tell other people to do it and I better get out and do it. Some of you, like I've said, start organizing your neighbors. I don't care if it's three of you. I don't care if you have a cup of coffee every week and figure out how you're going to continue to build things in your neighborhood. But get it done. I know you can. That's right. Okay, we're back, folks. And I played, for those of you that uh, don't hear the uh, bumper music, I played Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. Because that's right, folks. You're born to be wild. You are free-range Americans, right? You know, you're born free. You will live free as long as you decide that that's important. So be wild. You're born that way. Not to take the Lady Gaga song. (laughs) Let's take a minute here, folks, and... uh, Take a look at what we can learn from uh, so far what we've been able to ferret out of some of the uh, things in this last election. And it wasn't bad in many ways. It wasn't really bad that, that bad at all. Six million more people voted for Republican candidates across the country than voted for Democrat candidates. Well, then what happened? Targeted areas and certain groups. Uh, that's the simple answer. And, of course, some of it you go, yeah, right, no kidding. It's like saying turnout. Yeah, if people don't vote. It doesn't help. Yeah, genius. But there are some things that are sort of interesting. And there's been some, there's some state legislature uh, failings amongst the Republicans that are sort of interesting, too, because in the past, Republicans have been making some pretty good grain, gains in legislatures. And now some of them went the other way. Michigan, for instance, went that way. So Minnesota, there was a lot of problems in, in there where they lost legislative seats. Colorado, where I'm at, we lost legislative seats. We lost seats in the Senate as Republicans, and we lost seats in the uh, Colorado House Representatives. And that was, of course, a lot of that was inattention, and a lot of it was messaging. A lot of the problems with Republican candidates, as you look into it, was messaging. Now, I don't have to tell you that the messaging on the national level was some pretty weak sauce. As I've said before, you cannot expect your opponent to lose. You have to win. And winning requires more than just waiting for them to fall over. There was a lot of waiting to fall over out there amongst Republicans, if you look at it. And I understand it. I felt much the same way. Things were so miserable. You think, well, people just aren't going to put up with it. They'll look for an alternative. And that is true. The problem is the alternative has to be able to articulate something. I went back and looked at uh, Kevin McCarthy's, you know, uh, agreement with America uh, or memorandum of understanding with America, whatever it was. It was uh, some sort of very diluted version of the 1994 contract with America. And if you look at the differences, first of all, messaging, the way you message is a little different now. I mean, you have to use different outlets and things like that to get the word out. But there was a concrete series of proposals that addressed specific problems that were going on at that time. Here we had things like make America's economy strong again. Okay, I mean, really, is somebody arguing against that on the other side? That kind of thing? No. They just have vastly different ideas on how to do it and what that looks like. A lot of the things in the 
agreement with America, promise to America, whatever McCarthy was coming up with, were pretty vague. People don't respond well to in some instances when they have real problems to vague answers. If you want vague answers and see how they address problems, you can look at New York City. You know, Eric Adams, you know, the slightly uh, better answer to de Blasio. And by that, I mean maybe 2%. The guy wants to be a celebrity. He doesn't want to be the mayor. He has no he has no real plan to fix crime. He talks about it, talks about give the police this and that. They do nothing. Alvin Bragg, who is the uh, worst DA in uh, the boroughs of New York City, uh, is perfectly happy with this uh, response because Lee Zeldin, the Republican candidate out there for governor, said he would fire him when he was elected. Of course, he didn't win. So Kathy Hochul is going to keep him, do nothing. And continue to do nothing, except in one thing. She continued to try and take people's guns away. That is clearly her number one priority. She's been slowed down in that by the Supreme Court. But they are hysterical to take guns away in New York because they have people getting shot all the time by people who should never have a firearm under existing laws. And couldn't buy one in New York anyway. So they'll just blame Virginia or, you know, Connecticut or Maryland or, you know, Utah, you name it, for why they have guns. And they won't be satisfied no matter how much gun crime they have and blame on other things than lax enforcement, no prisons, no bail, no prosecutors that could be called that. None of those things are the problem. Your guns, that's the problem. And I say your guns because if they eliminate all the guns, sales and everything else in New York, there'll still be plenty of guns because the people that have them now shouldn't have them to begin with either. They'll just get them someplace else. Someone is going to supply criminals with weapons if they want them bad enough. And there's too many of them out there for that not to happen. So they'll bring them in from some other place. We won't know exactly where. But there's all this talk about, oh, you know, the firearms railroad into New York. And they point to other states. So what you see is that no matter how much they punish New York residents and take their means for self-protection away, it will never solve the problem. So it'll never be enough. They'll have to blame the next state and the next state and the next state and try and get them to ban them. And it does two things. As I said before, I used to think it was just the inability of the left to take responsibility for crime and try and blame inanimate objects, as though they did it themselves. You know, the tool. I still think that's true. But I'm also coming over to the ideas. They don't like the idea of people that have disagreeing with them having some sort of ability to resist anything. I Or take the law and protection and not need them for it. I would like to need... I, I, I'm a f- long-time law enforcement officer. I would like to see everybody protected by the police. By the way, that's why you pay your taxes. So the sheriff and police and constables and gendarmes or whatever you want to call them uh, can get there and protect you from the bad guys. But sometimes that's not possible. If you live in one of these Democrat cities, it's not possible because apparently they don't want that to happen. If you live other places, sometimes there's just too much distance to get there in time. Or it happens unexpectedly. 
you need to be able to still have the ability to protect yourself. As the old saying goes, you know, when, uh, you know, crime is happening seconds away, law enforcement sometimes is minutes away. And that can happen. You need to have, be able to have that. If you're responsible, be able to have that protection and ability to protect yourself. They'll never, they'll never accept that. It does two things. It, it allows you to have some freedom away from their monopoly on force. And it also robs them of the idea that guns do nothing but cause crime. If you listen to them, as far as they're concerned, firearms cause crime. That's it. It's that simple. They're evil. They're evil objects. You know, a friend of mine likes to talk about how, uh, and I can't remember who said this originally, but it's, uh, you know, that when we look at politics in America today, we think they're wrong and they think we're evil. <laughs> so, and they think that same thing about what firearms. They're evil and they cause crime. And if you have one, it's just a matter of time before crime is committed with it. It, it may go out on its own. Who knows? If you don't keep your liquor cabinet locked up, that 9 millimeter of yours could be swigging whiskey some night, get all riled up and go out and just tear up the town. Who knows? Who knows when those – got to get those firearms to come home at night at a reasonable time. We all know nothing good happens after 10 o'clock at night. If your 9 millimeters out partying, he's got to be home before then. Otherwise, it's even more trouble. That's what they think. And they also think that if you want to own one, there's probably something wrong with you anyway. So that's going to be her answer to crime. It's not going to be bad guys because bad guys are voters. People who support bad guys are voters. People who have a lot of bad guys hanging out with them are voters. That's how they see it. So this crime wave is not going anywhere. It's certainly not going to see much diminishment until the laws are changed back to some kind of realistic approach. Not to get too far off topic that we started with, but I can tell you that study after study that came out, especially in the 90s, uh, will show you that, as we know, a large percentage of serious crime is committed by a very small percentage of people. When you take those people and lock them up and take them out of society, crime goes down. That's statistically proven and easily proven and logical. It's ignored now. So that's what we've got to get back to. But let's see some of the other takeaways we have that I would admit to be wrong about. The abortion thing was more important in some areas than I expected it to be, The mainly because some of the polling didn't show it as that important, but it was important in certain areas and very important with particular groups. Now, before we even get into those groups, this is where I think there was a failure on the part of the Republicans. The Dobbs decision that uh, did away with the right, uh, the constitutional right to abortion, not the abortion, just the constitutional right to it, meaning that the states can regulate it. You can have as many of them as you want in one state or none in another state, whatever you think. That's all that decision did. But it caught everybody flat-footed. And frankly, the Democrats were in a much better position at that situation because they've been railing about it for years in terms of we should have it, you should have unlimited, you know, da, 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 da. Some of it was outrageous, but they were talking about it. Republicans have been talking about it, but 
they were in generally against abortion on demand at any time, all that kind of stuff. But when it stopped, when it flipped, they didn't know how to address it. And they didn't know how to address folks who were attacking them over it when they were just flat-footed. And some people did the right thing. They said, look, we're going to let the states decide, and this is our plan to have a vote to do this or to do that. And there was a plan in place. Others had no plan at all. I mean, I looked at some of what happened to some of these folks, and they said no idea at all. And a lot of states had laws on the books from the 30s and that about it that just kicked in when the decision went away. There was no provision for anything. So the whole thing sounded crazy to some people. What do you mean all of a sudden we're working under law of 1931 or whatever? And the Republicans just didn't know how to handle that. And they didn't get out in front of it at all. And it was extremely important to small groups here and there. And those groups were leveraged to make changes, especially in congressional districts. And I would say that when you look at the numbers, there's a one or two groups that were really motivated by that. That's why they didn't show up in national polling. But unmarried women broke big time for Democrats this time. They usually do, but they broke even harder for them this time. College-educated married women broke a little more for Democrats than in the past. Now, why is that? Because if you stop and think about it, well, who's, and oftentimes a vulnerable part of the population are women living alone sometimes. I mean, one of the things that's infuriating is to, to look at the situation where women joggers, women out pushing their baby strollers, all of this stuff are having horrific things happening to them. And so your initial response is, for gosh sakes, that will change people's minds. Those people want safety, and they do. And that was strong. But some of them, who were not as informed as you listening, thought that all of this Dobbs thing, and the Republicans being in disarray, not having an answer to say this is what we ought to do or this is how we ought to handle it, listen to the other rhetoric, say, oh, they're going to, it's going to be, uh, for, right now it's no abortion, and it's going to be no contraception, and that's going to, we're going to do, uh, we're going to revoke gay marriage, and we're going to, you know, then it's going to be, there's no, there's not going to be any interracial marriage. I mean, this trust, that was out there. A lot of them didn't necessarily, I think, believe all of it, but they believed it sounded pretty hysterical when they looked the other way to say, is this any of this true? The Republicans were like, I have a cup or They didn't know. They didn't have an answer. They could say, well, that's not true and this and that. Well, what are you going to do? Well, uh, don't, you, there you go again. I'm using sentence fragments, but frankly, some of the answers they were getting are not too far off from that. So the, there, there wasn't an answer, nothing coherent. And some of you may be completely opposed to this topic. I don't like discussing it because I think people have very strong opinions on it and they're not going to change, and that's all fine. But you have to admit, we have to be able to address it. We have to have a coherent policy to address it. So when someone asks, well, what is going on? What are you, what are you guys thinking about this? Didn't have an answer there. That was, that was a bigger thing than I thought it was going to be, not just because it was it arose more than the polls showed. The polls, I think, were somewhat right about that, but it arose in certain segments and certain groups that were very leveraged groups in a lot of congressional races and in some of the Senate races. And then we also get into just this, the national media problem, where, I mean, this is nothing new, 
their ability to cast Republican and conservative candidates as loony and dangerous and unbalanced is pretty strong. So we've had a money disadvantage, which meant that messaging from the left, much of it for free, based on what you read in newspapers, which are, you know, come on. <laughs> I mean, come on, if you read the newspapers. I mean, why? And uh, and the national media and so forth was uh, was out there. They didn't have to spend any money on that. And then they outspent everybody a lot. And so it made it difficult to get a message out. Now, what do we do about that is we got to get a lot smarter about our messaging. And we got to get a lot smarter in what is left to us in Internet and social media stuff. And there's we have a toehold, and that's about it. But we got to get a lot smarter how we use it. And I see that more clearly now. And the candidates we have, when we put them out, we just got to have smarter you know, smarter choices in candidates. We had some candidates out there that I will admit were not the best messengers. I thought they were good candidates and good people, but their delivery of the message was not very coherent or particularly well-delivered. I mean, those things kind of are synonyms for each other, but it's a slight difference there. And this is the same thing we had during the Tea Party time, where we had some good candidates who just could not articulate their message, or they didn't really understand what their message needed to be. And we also just got excited and stuck some people out there without really checking their bona fides or seeing if they were good candidates. They might have been good people and would have made a good governor or a good this or a good that, but you got to win. And I hate to sound so uh, mercenary about that, but... If you don't win, you don't govern. And then in a couple of states, we had our libertarian friends out there who continued to run in tight races and, you know, votes most of the time from libertarians are going to come from what would be conservative candidates. I probably lean, if you had a dial between Republican and libertarian, I probably point more towards the libertarian side. But uh, if you're going to, keep voting in really tight races on that side, you're not going to teach anybody a lesson except the Democrats. And what they learn is that if we make sure the libertarians stay in, we have a better chance of winning. I know it's going to make some of you mad out there to hear that, but it's kind of how that turns out. You, We do have to, at the same time, get the Republican Party to listen to some of these things that are a little more libertarian, but that can be done. See, you know, the, if you noticed out there, the Democrats have managed to stomp out the Green Party a lot of places. I started looking around for Green Party candidates this election. I didn't see near as many of them. I didn't see them out there getting much support for doing anything. Because the Green Party was dinging the Democrats. And they wanted them gone. <laughs> and uh, I just snooped around out there. And whatever they're doing, uh, I think they're just you know managing to convert people to the funding and to the idea that... I've said here so many times, any Democrat is better than any Republican. And so they've had a lot of people in the Green Party buy into that, too, and come back to the Republican fold. Uh, they've changed the Democrat Party so much from the internal side that, heck, the Greens are probably some, some ways more conservative, except on a few of these issues, than uh, than some of the, the uh, Democrats are. I mean, outside of the environmental issues, there's a lot of people in the Green Party. They're probably less socially nutty than a lot of the uh, folks on the far left. But they're voting with them now. 
because they think they're going to get their job done too. So uh, we have to consider that. And uh, I'm not going to tell anybody how to vote. If you don't continue to support libertarian candidates, I think that's fine. You just go ahead and do that. Just be aware there's some consequences to that. And sometimes in really close races and really important times, you know, it might be something to consider. I just hate saying that because I, I do completely understand how, why the Libertarian Party exists and what it wants to accomplish. And if nothing else, it, it's trying to leverage a, a lot of what the Republicans think to try and get them to make more sense on some of the issues Libertarians like. But we also have to understand that if you lose and the conservatives lose, then all you're doing are people putting in power that are totally against, 100% against everything you believe. And if that keeps happening long enough, you're not going to have any political power allotted to you to be able to leverage anything. So we have to consider that. But when, when we look out there, I see a lot of opportunities. It's going to be tough in terms of taking just the rhetoric we're going to hear over the next two years. I don't know what's going to happen in the presidential election. I frankly can't worry about that right now. Because we've got to be effective in local races within the next six to eight months. That's my time frame. After that, we'll worry about other things. Now, I know we want to be prepared, lay groundwork for campaigns, national campaigns, and this and that. And that's all fine. But that groundwork cannot exist unless we have the ground underneath us. And that's the foundational equipment and structure. And that foundational equipment structure comes from you and your local elections, your county clerks. You see how important these county clerks are? Secretaries of state, we missed our opportunity to get one here in Colorado that's a nut. We managed to not get her gone. But your local county clerks, your your local governing bodies. As I look around at conservative areas, most of the time, there's far more people on the left infesting those jobs than you would imagine because no one's paid attention and that's where they go they're not stupid they know where the radars of detection is up and where it's not and it's not up on those races and they just slide into them can't let that happen anymore folks we're going to start working on that we're going to start working from here every week and i'm going to try to do some every day hope you'll join me we'll talk about it later keep your head up and don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy